The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome back, everyone. Nice that you were able to make it tonight. A little brave, and hopefully not stupid. <laughs> I love being out in the weather. Some of us who were raised in Minnesota. Anybody here grew up in Minnesota? A couple of, oh, most of you, yeah. So you know, this This is used to, it used to, it used to be this way, <laughs> at least regularly during the winter. So uh, before we sit tonight, I'll just uh, expand the instructions a little bit, as I've been doing the first two weeks. So I mentioned, I've been mentioning the last couple of weeks, just to keep it simple, that they're just two qualities you need to value when you're sitting and then more generally as you're living your life. To be alert, and you can use different words, to be interested, brightness, curiosity, even sensitivity. And there's really no end to how much interest, curiosity, brightness, it's a wholesome quality, but it needs to be in balance with the other main, you know, relevant quality of mind, relaxation, trusting, being at ease, right? And it's, just even intellectually, imagining a mind, this mind, or anybody's mind or heart, that have developed, that has developed both of these qualities together. There's a handout on that chair right in front of you. A mind, a heart that's really relaxed and really interested. That's the kind of mind I'd like to bring into life. I mean, whatever I have to do, I would like the heart, the mind to be settled and really bright, really present, really sensitive to what's happening. And the relaxation, the trust, really supports the clarity of that alertness. And the clarity of the alertness, the brightness, really allows the body-mind to stay relaxed because it senses when grasping, when struggling, is unnecessary, unhelpful, right? Oh, yeah, my shoulders are by my ear. Or, oh, yeah, I'm trying to convince my partner of something, but maybe I don't have to. Maybe I can put that down. So the alertness really supports the relaxation and the relaxation really supports the alertness. So this next, you know, acronym, RAIN, as in falling, RAIN, R-A-I-N, it's been used by many teachers over the last number of decades. It's just a slightly more sophisticated way of remembering. So like in the middle of a set, you've been lost in thought for a while, It's happened several times during that particular set. Some doubts arising like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And then you can bring this acronym or you can go back to alertness and relaxation. But, you know, you can come to use this more sophisticated. So R is just to, and this is a really (laughs) essential move when we're starting over in particular, to recognize what's being known. 
And sometimes we talk about it as a remembering, right? We're remembering to recognize what the mind is knowing. It's not so much, oh, I have to do the recognizing, as much as we're remembering to notice what's being recognized. Because the knowing is happening, the recognizing is happening, but is there that remembering? So you can use recognizing or you can even use the word remembering, right? We're remembering to recognize or we're remembering to notice what's being recognized in the moment. In a more technical way, we call that contact. As a human being, as a sensitive being, sensitive to sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, that's what we call the body in a Buddhist sense. The body isn't this... The body is sensitivity in these five ways, the five physical senses. And then the mind is the sensitivity we have to mental activity. Because mental activity can be known, just like sound and sight and touch and smell and taste can be known. And these are the six ways that knowing happens. And so recognizing which of these six things in any moment one of these six things is going to be relatively predominant. Oh yeah, this is what's being known. So we're recognizing the knowing is already there, that potential or capacity of knowing, of awareness. Like I mentioned the first week, we don't turn it on and we can't shut it off. So knowing is happening, sensitivity is there, but we're remembering to recognize what it is that's being known. Don't try to feel responsible to know everything, to recognize everything. Because the point isn't to see everything. The point is to remember the present moment, to get back to the present moment, to kind of come out of the cloud, the bubble of our thinking, lost in thought, and to recognize, oh, this is being known. This is what's being known. This is what's being felt. Whatever it is that's you know relatively predominant or sort of front and center in any moment of experience, that's the R to recognize. So a simple question: Well, what's the mind knowing? What's the mind recognizing right now, as a way of starting over? And then the second, then A acceptance or allowing, right? It's like, can I leave it alone? Whatever the mind's knowing, recognizing, can it be left alone? Can it be accepted? for whatever it is, that sight, that touch, that thought or emotion. Oh yeah, this is what's being recognized. Can it be left alone? Can it be allowed to feel and be whatever it is? So the recognition is more on the side of the brightness, the alertness, right? And then the acceptance, the allowing is more the relaxation, going back to that first, you know, alert and relaxed. And then the third is uh, investigate, or you could use interest. And so this is, again, more about the active side of practice. So there's both passive, the relaxation, the trusting, the allowing, but there's this active, like this movement, this wholesome movement to want to see clearly, to want to understand, not to be superficial, not to be 
stuck in the abstraction. Like there's a big difference between our mind saying, I'm at common ground and identifying with that thought, meaning the mind isn't aware that it's thinking that thought, I'm at common ground. Right? And actually sort of settling in to the immediacy of the seeing and the feeling of the body and the hearing without that experience being mediated by our thoughts about being here, or who we are, or what's happening. And so that really helps us understand what's meant by investigation. It's really that movement from a moment or moments that are being <coughs> conditioned or shaped by our thoughts, so unconsciously shaped, framed by our concepts or thoughts, to a more immediate exposure. That's a nice word for what I'm trying to point to. This exposure to the activity of the present moment, to the seeing, the hearing, the touching, and the movement of mental activity that is this moment. So that's the, we're interested in connecting with things as they are. In Buddhism, we use this word a lot, dharma. It's kind of been misused out there in the wider culture now. <clears throat> and it was a word that existed even before the time of the Buddha. So it has some baggage to it. But the way in sort of a practice sense, when we use the word dharma, you could substitute the phrase the way it is or the way things are, the underlying nature of the present moment. So not so it's a not our abstraction or not our mental construction of what we think the present moment is, but the direct experiencing, immediate experiencing of the present moment, that's dharma. So interest, investigation is in that. We're interested in this underlying nature of the present moment. So one of the things we often say in Buddhism is that one of the things we, when we are actually interested, what do we notice is that whatever the present moment is, whatever's predominant, whatever it is that the mind is, rec- the knowing mind is recognizing and accepting, it's emotion. And that's actually like more than <clears throat> that I'm seeing something or that I'm hearing something or I'm feeling sensations or there are thoughts, is that every one of those experiences that are being known or recognized are in motion. And there's never, as we pay attention, never, ever, ever experience that's not in motion. We never experience a thing. I mean, we use that word like common ground is a thing. My life is a thing. My house is a thing. The United States of America, we sort of think of as a thing. But everything's in motion, actually. Like subjectively, as an experiencing, as a sensitive creature that is experiencing things through the five physical senses and the sensitivity to thought or to mental activity, everything's flowing, 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 flowing. And that flow never stops. So, for example, when we say getting interested, investigating Dharma the way it is, we're really 
noticing the process nature of our experience, the changing nature of our experience. And there's something inherently unsatisfactory when we're at this more subtle, truthful level of our experience that it's emotion, because we don't actually have ground. There's not like the solidity we want. Sometimes people, you know, when they come to see me to talk about their meditation practice, they'll relate to a moment when they were sitting and they were being aware of the breath and their body or something like that. But but all of a sudden, they had this very disconcerting experience where their body didn't seem solid and they think something's wrong. But actually, the idea, the concept we have of the body is that it's solid, you know, and we seem seemingly have proof because when we do this, you know, it feels solid and we've got all the stuff we studied in high school biology, you know, there's flesh and skin and bones and it's got weight, it has mass. But subjectively, the experience of the body, you'll touch into this if you stick with your practice long enough, your subjective experience of your body is kind of like a dance of energy. And it doesn't mean you don't weigh, you know, 160 pounds or whatever you weigh. It just means there's a difference between the thought, the idea of the body, and your subjective experience of body. Because the subjective experience body is sensation, sensations that are coming and going. Even like, it doesn't matter if they're intense or subtle, but sensations dance, they move. They come and go, come and go, come and go. And there's always space between one sensation and the next. And they're coming and going very quickly. So it's more like a flow. And when you're subjectively experiencing this underlying reality of the body, and I'm just using that as an example, the dharma of the body, right? You'll experience, that's why sometimes meditators think they're levitating. You know, it's kind of common and sort of meditation circles, because they they don't experience their body as they think it should be experienced. Because now they're experiencing the body directly, immediately, but that experience isn't being governed or shaped by the concept we have about the body. And see, we don't realize that most of our life we're living strongly under the influence of concept or ideas. And there's all kinds of psychological, I don't know if anybody here is a psych major, but you know, if you get a, you know, your undergraduate degree in psychology or just even take a couple classes, you'll run across all these experiments that just show how much of what we call reality is being constructed in the mind, the thinking mind, right? And we presume that whatever like is out there is that way we're constructed in our mind, but it's not. And there's all kinds of experiments that, you know, really point to this. Like, I'll just give you a simple example, but there's more sophisticated experiments. But like if someone's showing you a bunch of photographs, just of common things, a truck, a garage, a tree, you know, this or that. And, you know, you, you just have to see. And they're ju- they just ask you to name what's there and let them know if anything seems off about the photograph, right? 
you're saying, you know, airplane, bus, car, person, dog, whatever. And then some of the photographs that you're seeing then, you know, and it's not like it's flashed for a, a tenth of a second. It might be there for three or four seconds, right? There's no, they're not like rushing it or anything. And now they start showing you a picture like it will be a house, but half of the house will be gone. Or a plane, but it will be missing a wing or something like that. I mean, something really obvious. But because we mostly live in a constructed reality, the mind has no problem just filling in what's not actually there. And those of you who are married, I've been married for 25 years, we do that with our partners all the time. You know, our siblings, our friends, our partners, where we think they're this way, so we interpret some interaction we had in terms of who we think that person is and what they do, not actually what they said, not actually what they do which is why you can get into arguments. I didn't say that. I wasn't feeling that. I didn't do that. No, no, you did. Have you had that experience? And and it's like, no, no. And you really wonder, like, are we inhabiting the same universe? Well, the, the truth is we're not. I mean, some moments my construction lines up well enough with your construction, and then we kind of like each other because we're sort of codependent. It's like, the fact that your constructions are close enough to mine makes me feel like my constructions aren't constructions, but they're reality. But if your constructions don't line up with mine uh, often enough, you're going to be sort of an existential threat to me. Like either I have to imagine that you're somehow deluded or off in some way, or I'm really, I feel threatened, like maybe I'm wrong. So this... A third piece of investigation, it's really learning to, it really comes from a place of humility more than anything. Because investigation, you know, we can kind of put ourselves on this pedestal like, I know how to investigate, I know how to see the truth of things. But actually what's much more useful is, like, yeah, I know that my habit is to experience, to interpret or the word often in Buddhism what we kind of point at is perception. Perception is this construction activity. Because when I perceive each of you or perceive the room or perceive what's happening, like I'm up here giving a talk, I perceive in terms of previous experiences. I'm kind of lining up, interpreting this in terms of what's already known what's already been defined by my mind, and kind of massaging it so it fits. Right? So when we're training the mind to investigate, it's that's why beginning with humility, and you see it's so important with things like mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of hearing, mindfulness of thinking, because the idea we're going to have, the perception, oh, I know what it's like to see thinking in the mind. I know what it's like to feel my body sitting. I know what it's like to breathe in and breathe out. So I don't actually need to open to the Dharma, the underlying immediate nature of the sensations of that experience or the seeing or the hearing or the 
you know, what is that mental activity as just something being known. We don't go to that elemental level. We stay on the level of perception. Try it when you go home tonight, like those of you who live with another person or even your dog or cat. See if you can really, for just don't make it too challenging, 10 seconds, 20 seconds. If you can be with your cat or your partner without sort of resting in your perception, your interpretation of them, but really be in the immediacy, which has, like I said, that flavor of humility of knowing that you don't know. What you know is your interpretation of what's happening. But you don't actually know this experience. It's never happened before. It's true with every in-breath and every out-breath. You may have seen very clearly with mindful awareness millions of in-breaths and out-breaths if you're a long-time practitioner, but you've never seen this one, right? And so that's the interest, is sort of to meet the present moment as this dance of hearing, seeing, touching, smelling, tasting, and noticing mental activity as mental activity. All of that is emotion. And then the last is the most subtle, the N in the acronym RAIN, non-attachment, non-identification. You can actually practice non-attachment. You know, like, let go. (laughs) Because that is its own attachment, like being attached to the idea of not being attached. So it gets neurotic quickly. But we can value non-attachment as the sort of natural fruit of doing the first three things with some integrity, just recognizing what's being known, allowing it to be what it is, being interested, that quality of humility, like, like letting whatever is arising in the moment, letting it reveal itself, letting it express itself as a natural phenomena that's being known, that's being allowed. So not being overly dependent on the perception, the interpretation, but just letting a sound be a sound, a thought be a thought, a sight be a sight. So it gets harder as you go down this list. And then realizing moments of non-attachment where there's a particular object of experience that's being known, was recognized, it was allowed, the mind investigated, right, it was intimate. That's another, you could use the word intimate for the eye in this, right? Intimate meaning it's not distorted, not being, the experience isn't being distorted, framed uh, by our expectations or by our, the way the mind is conditioned. You can't get rid of that conditioning. So like I know Dave over here, when I see that shape and form, the perception, the identification, oh, that's Dave, is going to come up. But I can notice that perception and <clears throat> and still be in the immediacy of the scene. And if there's an emotional, some emotional content from our, then to, to be in the immediacy of whatever feeling I, I have, like maybe a friendly feeling, right? Without being confused, without like doing the simple thing the mind usually does, like I don't have to actually be real or intimate because I know that's just Dave McGill. So I can just 
understood it. I got it. What else is there? Right? So the same thing, you walk in, you see your cat, and the mind goes, oh, that's my cat. And then you don't have to be real, be intimate, be in the moment. So really play like with your breath and then throughout your day with being in the moment is a real commitment. It's a real investment, which is why it takes some practice because we're used to, it's kind of a survival mechanism. We're used to perceiving what's going on and having almost everything in the abstraction. I'm at common ground. That's an abstraction. I'm sitting. Mark's talking. This is about Buddhist awareness practice. And so then we're at the ready. If anything really interesting comes up, I can really be with it. But we end up missing 99.9% of our life because the mind has gotten overly dependent on its concepts. And so in a way it's removed itself from the immediacy of the moment because it's over-reliant on its ideas about what's happening in any moment. So we're breaking that habit, recognizing what's being known, allowing, being intimate, realizing moments of non-attachment. It's those moments of non-attachment where you really taste why you're doing the practice to begin with. Because it's a moment with a little freedom. The non-attachment, the non-identification. Like in more Western psychological terms, they call that flow. Right, where you're not the ego, the mind isn't constructing separation. This is happening to me. I like this, I don't like it's not creating that duality, it's dropping it. It's it's interesting how these days especially more and more athletes and artists and other people are writing and talking about these experiences of flow being in the moment, moments of non-attachment, non-clinging. Now, in our practice, we're trying not just to have these moments that arise from time to time. We're trying to understand the way to live there all the time. Because we think, like, I need a special circumstance, and then I can be in the flow. Put me in nature kayaking down the river or, you know, whatever it might be for each of us. And maybe we can be in the flow. But how about raising kids and the kids tantruming and it's the second hour that I maybe I mentioned to this group, you know, flying back from L.A. where I was uh, doing a memorial service last weekend, a week, uh, 10 days ago about... Um, there's a kid sleep, sitting real close to me, just cried, I think, most of the four-hour flight. And like, imagine something like that for the parent being in the flow. right? Because it's not easy to simply recognize, allow, be intimate, not just with the sound and the activity of your child, but to be intimate with your own reactivity. Right? And to not atta- not cling, not resist, not turn the moment into a problem doesn't mean the moment's beautiful. The moment is what it is. You know, you're trying to take care of a kid who won't settle down, doesn't know how to settle down. But we know intellectually that it doesn't do any good to suffer when we're in a situation like that, right? 
What value is there in getting upset or getting tight or blaming yourself for not being a good parent? One of the people who was sitting right next to me uh, basically blamed this woman, the parent of this child. <laughs> I mean, it was really... Did I mention this last week? Yeah, it was really kind of a unpleasant scene to just... Uh, because she didn't know what to do with her experience. She didn't know how to be intimate. She wasn't even the mother. She was just somebody you know, eight feet away or whatever, and didn't know what to do with the sound and the sight and the thoughts that arose in her experience, right? That she could recognize them, she could allow them, she could be intimate with them, and realize moments at least of non-attachment. But because she couldn't do that, all this energy started to build, and the only thing she could think to do with it is to be nasty to the woman, the parent of this child, you know, which of course made the parent really defensive, and so they had their words back and forth, which made all of us, you know, uncomfortable, unless we were practicing, right? Being, recognizing, oh, this, it's like this, I'm feeling uncomfortable, that I'm, that's something that's arising in a moment, I can recognize it, I can allow it, sometimes it's like this, feel really awkward. These two people are arguing and really hurting. Be intimate. No separation. And realize moments of non-attachment, non-clinging. So this is the flow. This is the peace. This is actually, when we touch these moments, the one aftertaste is, this is the way to be. This is the way to live life. This is why I'm doing this practice to learn this right, this taste of freedom, the freedom of non-attachment. So really open your mind. Start, you know, we always start where we're relatively safe and comfortable. That's why that's what sitting practice is about. Remember the comfortable part. But we want it all day long, right? We want to live in that place all day long. Any questions about this before we stretch and do our sit? And we'll have time for Q&A after the sitting time. So feel free to stretch your body out, stand, be aware as, as you move your body around and do what you're doing. Recognize what's being known, allow what you're noticing, accept it, be intimate, and maybe realize some moments of non-attachment as you stretch out and eventually when you feel ready, come back to comfortable sitting posture. <clears throat> we'll be sitting for a little bit more than 25 minutes tonight.
You might want to use the acronym just as a way of clarifying what this mindful awareness practice is all about. So you have a direct sense of what it means to recognize what the mind is knowing, what it means to allow or accept this experience to be what it is, to be intimate in the way of going beyond the perception into the immediacy of the sensation or the thought or the sound, see its changing nature, and perhaps in moments to Realize that letting go of non-attachment, that sense of flow or that quality of lightness that's there when the heart isn't attached, isn't controlling.
begin the last uh, minute or two to practice with the eyes open if they've been closed. So just sitting as comfortably as you can, gazing down toward the floor in front. Practice not being afraid to be intimate with this experience here, the body and the mind, the way it is. We don't have to define to or for ourselves what's happening, just notice that the mind is knowing Recognize that the mind is knowing, allowing to some degree being intimate, allowing the moment to reveal itself, experiences to reveal themselves. I'm interested in the possibility of non-attachment as experience comes and goes. Non-fear, non-greed, not trying to get anywhere. That was almost 30 minutes, just for those who are getting a sense of what you might be able to do at home. As I've been mentioning these weeks, you know, we learn quite a bit from people just sharing what it's like to have a mind, what it's like to pay attention to the activity of the mind and body. Why is that so difficult? (laughs) It is, right? quite challenging to sustain that present moment awareness. I think I might have mentioned earlier, but one of the better known teachers of the last century, this Burmese teacher in this particular lineage of Buddhism from Burma, Saida Upandita, he was a very fierce teacher. But anyway, um, he's passed away recently. He was like 94, 95 And uh, he told this story once about a student of his who came and reported to him. And in this style of retreat practice, you report to the teacher every day. It's very sort of formalized how you kind of report your experience, basically what you are noticing and how you're noticing the different phenomena of present moment experience. But anyway... Uh, Sayada, this teacher, monastic teacher, asked the student, well, you know, did your mind wander, you know, thinking? He said, oh yeah, but only once. (laughs) How long did that last? Well, the whole hour. (laughs) (laughs) So actually it's, 
it can be a real sign when we start catching the mind going into thought that there's enough stability of present moment awareness to begin to notice how often the mind is lost in thought. So I'm just, just telling you that, like, if you think, oh, no, no, I'm mindful the whole way through, that may, may mean you're a beginner, right? And if you're thinking, my mind's mind is wandering all the time, it may be that you're developing some momentum in your practice, some good momentum. Anyway, it's nice to hear from folks, questions, what's been happening that's been challenging, what's been happening that's felt really good or like a lot of learning. Right, or any comments that just seem related to the practice? Anybody want to start us off? Yeah, please. Hi, I'm Adam. Uh, so when I was just sitting, sitting like I was sitting on my cushion, kind of a weird way, where it was like unpleasant, and I just kind of uh, noticed, um, you know, it's like you know, I the urge to want to move and into a different spot um but just kind of realized you know okay so this is i'm not liking this like i'm just noticing the not liking as and, a present moment phenomena mm-hmm. and was like well what a what's more uncomfortable like the my sitting or the feeling of not liking this how I'm sitting and I, you know, realize that it's like just the feeling is what's more unpleasant and kind of that realization and sitting with it for a while, it, that feeling just went away and it could just be like literally just was like, well, how does this feel? You know, and then just checked it out and it was fine. Yeah. So it kind of cool. And it's just like a clean, feeling on the inside like like you put just polished some silverware or something (laughs) it just felt like just clean yeah it's very cool so just to kind of clarify that insight because that's really an insight what is the experience of being aware of painful sensation without and then and then adam mentioned then i saw the not liking of the painful sensation so that's an insight in itself, just to notice that there are two things, that they're different. There's the throbbing in the knee or the aching in the back or whatever the particular characteristics of that unpleasant, those unpleasant sensations. There's that. And then there's the way the mind is relating, what we would generally call not liking it, right? That mental activity of not liking is a distinct present moment happening, related, but distinct from the painful sensation. Make sense? So then Adam, the mind, Adam's mind, the wisdom in Adam's mind, got curious, right? Wanted to be intimate. Didn't just assume, right? The surface level is, this is a problem for me. (laughs) I don't like this. I want this to be done. But stayed more in the immediacy, the intimacy of the moment, so there's this physical experience, sensation being known, unpleasant. There's the not liking, this mental activity of not liking. For whatever reason, Adam got interested in the not liking, right? He saw the difference, distinction, and really tuned into the not liking of it. 
And notice that the not liking, you didn't say this, Adam, but the not liking is dependent on misunderstanding the painful sensations. Right? When we take those painful sensations as me or mine, happening to me or me, or, or you know, happening to my body, then the not liking makes sense. But when we're seeing things in a more objective or more intimate way, just sensation being known, painful sensation being known, not liking, it sort of takes away the cause for the not liking. When we see the not liking and see how unhelpful it is to not like it, to not like anything, it's not contributing. What does that contribute, the not liking? So we're seeing that it's extra. We're seeing that there's this, but we don't need that. It's not so much that you get rid of the not liking. Stop not liking. It's not like we do that. We're just intimate with the present moment as it is. Painful sensation being known, not liking being known. And then we realize something, that there can be pain without the not liking. That's a real revelation, right? Because given that we're a human being and we're going to encounter unpleasant emotional pain, unpleasant physical pain, off and on, all life long, sometimes there's nothing we can do about what's showing up. So it's really nice to know that at least I won't amplify the pain by wasting energy not liking it. It's like you may not like the really bitter cold, but we don't have to get tight because it's cold, even if we're you know, outside and it's really unpleasant. The tightness doesn't help. The anger doesn't help. Blaming doesn't help. Yeah, thanks, Adam. It would be great to hear that. Who else would like to share what's been challenging for you? It's felt like some good learning tonight or in the last weeks. Yeah, I want to pass the mic over. Hi, I'm Joe. Um, so when I've done uh, meditation, when I've read about it in the past, there's always this phrase that people use. They say, clear your mind of all thoughts. And uh, when I look at the list and the acronym, I think this is totally different than that. And I'm wondering, am I misinterpreting it? Because I feel like I've never heard you say clear your mind unless I'm Unless I just didn't hear you say it. Yeah, no. We don't talk, we don't usually talk that way. Because this style, the Buddha's, the general practice in Buddhism is to be intimate with the way it is, not to control or manage. Now, there are techniques that the Buddha taught, and certainly in the wider schools of of, uh, meditation practice, which are really about, secluding the mind from grosser activities, including grosser level of thought. And it's very healing to get into those quiet places. So it's not like that's wrong. But that instruction isn't necessarily helpful, even if you are interested in those quiet spaces of meditation. We're interested in quiet spaces of meditation, but we want enough activity so we can learn to be not attached to it. So that's why we have a quiet room. I was, we get semis parking more and more in this neighborhood, so it was not that quiet tonight, but quiet enough. 
relatively safe, right? So we're, you know, we could be in a more hectic place, but we choose to practice in a quiet place. We choose as best we can to sit in a comfortable way, right? We shut our cell phones off. We put the pets in the other room because we we really find it valuable to have some degree of quiet. But still the mind will think. But maybe we're not feeding it. it the, like a thought might come up and it seems really like, oh yeah, I need to figure that out. But our response would be, but not now. Because when I set my timer for 30 minutes, I knew that it was safe not to be doing the business of life for these 30 minutes. So I'm not saying that that doesn't need to be done, but not now. So we put it aside. Even if we get a really creative idea, we put it aside, okay? If that's really a good idea, it will probably come back up in the mind. I'm not going to hold on to it. Because now I'm practicing being in the moment. So it, it is nice when the mind gets quiet, but we're more interested in like how to make a very healthy mind that we call samadhi, you know, where it's really settled, somewhat quiet, not overly neurotic. But we're not like uh, demanding, we're not trying to control thought because it's so frustrating, you know, and it, it actually ends up, can end up stimulating thought if it's not done correctly. So when thought arises, the, the, the basic way we manage thoughts and kind of keep thoughts relatively quiet is we realize that thoughts are just thoughts. That is surprisingly powerful. And you can do this during your day as well as during the formal meditation time. When you notice that your mind is having a thought, it's cold outside. You look out the windows and you remember, oh yeah, it's really cold outside. And it's so nice to remember, oh yeah, that's just a thought being known by the knowing mind, right? To recognize, that's that R. Oh yeah, that's just a thought. Now, Now, when you say, oh, that's just a thought being known, you're not pushing it away. You're not judging the fact that it's just a thought. Oh, you're just a thought. No, it's just a simple, clear recognition. It is just a thought being known. Because some of our thoughts are very impactful. Someday I'm going to die. right? But that's just a thought right now. It's just a thought. And if there's any emotional content feeling there, that's just that feeling being known. I can accept it. I can be intimate with it. And being intimate with it, I'm going to realize how ephemeral any thought, most emotions. I mean, the only thing that lasts for much length of time are sensations. But even physical sensations tend to be, you know, evolving, moving on. I mean, some of us had a lot of physical pain when we were sitting, right? Where is it now? It went away. But when we were in the middle of it, it seemed like it was going to kill us or be there forever, right? But then it changes. Things change. So you're right. We don't, this style of practice, we're not formally clearing our mind directly. But like even that thing we do often at the beginning of the sit where I suggest just taking a few deep breaths, if you really do that wholeheartedly, just slowly in an easy way, fill the lungs, slowly exhale, 
If you really do that with a lot of wholeheartedness, well, then you can't really think at the same time. You know, so part of putting the emphasis on being aware is it takes the energy away, the bandwidth away from thinking. But it's not a direct assault on thinking. We're training the mind to really invest in this other mental activity, this reflective awareness, what we call mindful awareness, right? It's a doing in a sense. When we're really loyal, really committed, wholehearted about being present, then thoughts still may come and go, but they don't have much staying power. They're not very seductive because the mind is grounding in the is being known, right? The mindful awareness. Oh, this is being known. This is being known. And the accepting and the intimacy, the non-distance, not what creates a sense of distance from our own experience is the idea. Like if I have the idea, I'm up in front giving a talk at Common Ground. See, identifying with that idea creates a sense of duality. There's the me up here giving a talk, and then there's the world. But my actual subjective experience is seeing and hearing and thoughts being known. And in that direct subjective experiencing, there's no duality. right? There's no like Mark is on this watchtower looking down at the sights and the sounds and the thoughts and the sensations. And you'll get that. like That will be one of the experiences. It would be nice actually if anybody can check in about this, that quality, it's hard to find the right word, but one word you can use is that quality of wholeness, the lack of separation, the lack of feeling apart, but often it just feels like integration or wholeness, being right in the middle, sometimes I say. Did you ever know, has anybody noticed that in your sits, where instead of the sense of me, observing my experience over there there's a much, and that's very close to that taste of freedom i called non-attachment you know the n in the rain acronym that freedom that sense of wholeness or non-separation so you know a lot of times you think oh you got to practice for decades and then maybe if you're lucky and have enough time you get an awakening experience and then you become a special human being but it's better not to think of it like awakening, whatever it is, or freedom, whatever it is, that it's like somehow far away. But it's like we're swimming in the freedom. It's right here, but it goes unrecognized. So a lot of times when people are emphasizing like clearing the mind of thoughts, it's it's this wrong idea that experience, like thinking, is a problem. The problem is the misunderstanding or the um, the relationship to thought, the attachment, is the problem, not the thoughts themselves. One of the real insights, and this is not that uncommon. Some people get it even you know, in the first months of practice, where they get a little bit of that flavor of dispassion where the thinking mind is doing what the thinking mind does. It thinks, but there's some dispassion like, 
I don't have to, you know, because normally when we think it's like, I'm talking to myself, I got to listen, you know, or stop talking to yourself. But it's problematic, whatever, whether we think we got to listen to what we're saying or we're trying to suppress or stop what we're thinking. But it's like someone left a radio on, it's not my problem, you know, that are their thoughts. And sometimes thoughts are like useful, they inform the moment, shape what we might do. And sometimes it's just like background sound. But either way, it's like, just like a lot of the visual experience, not that relevant. A lot of the sound experience. Same with a lot of the mental activity. We learn to have uh, that non-attachment. It's just a thought. I mean, imagine if we took every thought we had seriously. (laughs) We'd really be nuts. Because... Our thoughts are all over the place, right? Some of them are really despicable. But I don't have to feel badly about my despicable thoughts. That's just a thought. Some of my thoughts are quite amazingly beautiful and enlightened. But I don't imagine that I'm enlightened, right? Just because I have enlightened thoughts or really beautiful, compassionate thoughts. It's just the way it is sometimes. The despicable thoughts and the beautiful thoughts. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, you want to pass it back? My name is Bill. Uh, It's been extremely overwhelming the amount of moments that I'm starting to realize in my sits. And uh, I just kind of wanted to express that because I think there's seconds of non-attachment, but the... Immediately when I get there, it's another moment, another thought. When I see a thought, there's another one. It's just like this onslaught that's, now that I'm actually able to recognize them, it's, it's, it's often a bit maddening. Yeah. Um, which and I hear you say insight. is, it, it's a, it's a, I don't want to think it's a bad thing because it's actually different than it was four months ago. Like it's, it's evolving in a way. Yeah. But, Sometimes it's difficult to continue because it's, uh, yeah, it's just overwhelming. Any any sense of how the mind talks to itself about what it's afraid might happen? Like if you completely surrendered, allowed, trusted that ceaseless movement of thought, of experience, and just completely gave it permission to be the way that it is, what do you imagine might happen? And are you willing to experiment with that surrender? Because what makes that ceaseless flow, like I, I said, I don't know if you caught it, but that's a real insight. A lot of our distractedness and superficiality is to defend ourselves from seeing how fluid life is, this subjective experience of being a human being is. Just the flow, the constant impingement of sense experience, of thought, of sound, of sight, of one thing never ending, right? So we stay in our thoughts about things because it gives the mind a semblance of control. I'm Filtering, like when I'm lost in my thoughts about stuff, I'm filtering out 
99.9% of what the sensitivity is sensitive to, right? It's like when I'm thinking about a problem, I'm not aware of so much, even though I'm so, it's still being received, the sight, the sound, the touch, the smell, the taste, the thought, right? So we kind of stay in our stories about things because actual present moment awareness is initially really disorienting and overwhelming until the wisdom catches up. And that's the basic engine of the awakening process. We do these mental exercises that we call, you know, mindful awareness practice. We're basically developing a mental muscle to have that stability, calm, non-judging, present moment awareness, right? And then we start having more and more experience. Did you say Bill? That Bill was talking about where it's like there's a lot happening and it never stops and nobody's in control. And and the more I look, the more there is to see, right? And it feels like the ground is starting to move in a way that it's not supposed to move. I remember I lived in California for six years and I remember the first few earthquakes. It's like, that's not supposed to happen. And it's a little bit like when we see the present moment in a more honest, clear, balanced way, right? And then the interesting question, like I was saying earlier, is like, well, maybe it's okay that things are the way that they are. Maybe it's not actually dangerous to be seeing the present moment as it is. Why presume it's dangerous? Just because it hasn't been seen clearly before, the nature of the mind, the, ma- the nature of the present moment, maybe it's actually safe. Maybe I can relax and just recognize the way it is, allow it, get, learn how to be really intimate right in the middle of it, and realize, possibly realize some freedom, not having to hide, not, in, not having to work hard to be distracted or to be in denial of the way it is. So really look, and you might start, the more you relax and trust it, you might start to discern a flavor of freedom, the freedom of not needing things to be different than they are, not needing to be deluded about the way things are. Yeah, so and if that starts to show up, then share that in the week ahead, weeks ahead. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Bill. Any last comment? We have just a minute. Yeah, you get the last word. Hi, I'm Darwin. Um, I, I I find that um, when I start thinking about why I, I have a hard time realizing the impersonal nature, I, when I personalize it, I, I'm like applying tone feelings to it. Tone? Tone. tone. What does um, that mean? Oh, like uh, taking my own, f- filtering it through my own um uh, personal experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll, <clears throat> and I start thinking about that. If, oh, say, I don't know, just some random thing happens. Somebody doesn't do something that I I expected them to do that they committed to do, and it doesn't get done. And I'll personalize it instead yeah. of, and I will, you know, I will, um, when I think about the, the, not, realizing the impersonal nature of it like 
you know, could have been some random thing, you yeah. know. Uh, but we have to break it down. I just, I'm going to jump in because we're almost out of time. We have to break it down. And that's why there's, it's really important, this teaching, mind and body, right? So we're sensitive to the world through the mind and the body. The body is the five physical senses. The mind is mental activity. So whatever the story is, like that person isn't holding up their end of the bargain. You know, they got to get their act together or something like that. But then, like, and then you find that you're caught. You personalize it, as you said, Darwin, and you're caught, right? There's a struggle. The body gets tight. The mind's tight. And then you realize, I don't, I think suffering is optional here. Let me pay attention. And that's this deconstruction. So as a Buddhist or as somebody using this awareness practice, we remember, like, okay, subjectively speaking, I'm sensitive. I can only be sensitive to the mind and the body. That's the only way I know the present moment. So what is this? Is it a thought being known? Is, it, is there sensation here being felt? Is there a sight being seen, a sound being heard? So in that case, when we're kind of stewing, it's really two things. It's thought and then a visceral feeling in the body related to the thought kind of an emotional feeling, right? And kind of a dance, like when you have a mental image or a thought about what that person did or didn't do, and you have a feeling, and the feeling kind of triggers more thinking, and the thinking creates more feeling, and there's this sort of dance between the mental activity and the visceral feeling, and the visceral feeling triggering more mental, and the mental triggering more visceral. But now you're aware of it, right? You're recognizing what's happening in the present moment. There's this subtle energetic emotional feeling being felt and there's this mental activity spinning in the mind. Mental activity is just thoughts being known. That feeling is just that feeling being felt. Now already there's so much more freedom just in doing that simple deconstructing. You're not trying to put a spin. This is not a spin. This is actually what's happening in the moment. So you're just sort of getting clear what's happening. Thoughts are being known. Oh, yeah, and there's a feeling. Is there a feeling there? Yeah, there's this feeling here. Thoughts are being known. Feelings being felt. Can this be okay? That's the A, right? Can I allow the feeling to be the feeling and the spinning mind, the thinking mind, to be that? No breaks. I'm not trying to clear the mind, right? I'm just trying to be real, intimate. That's the third thing with the way it is. And I got my tools. I just keep recognizing what the mind is knowing. And you can even ask, well, what's the mind knowing? Well, it's knowing mental activity or thinking. It's knowing this feeling, right? Can I allow it? Accept it? Can I be intimate? Like right in the middle. And being in the middle is like we're learning how to like let that spinning, that moving, no resistance. You know, let it kill me if it's going to kill me. I'm just going to, like, if I can't trust my life I'm in trouble. So it's in a way, it's. I know it sounds a little provocative to say it. we're we're just like not afraid to die in those moments when it's just sort of happening. We're just soft and clear, relaxed and clear. Those two qualities we talked about the first two weeks, and let whatever happens happen. You know, I'm going to be clearly aware, and I'm going to be soft and relaxed. And if this Thinking and feeling kill me? Fine. If this waterfall of mental activity is going to kill me? Fine. I don't think my life, my ordinary life as it actually is, is dangerous. So I'm, 
I somehow feel being awake and relaxed is not a provocative thing to do as a human being, right? And we have to we have to say something like that because, as one famous teacher said, and I might have mentioned this: never underestimate the desire to bolt, because it is not easy to be intimate with our experience. This is much more difficult than climbing Mount Everest. Really. I mean, physically, maybe not so much. But in terms of what it's going to demand from your heart to really learn how to be radically present, it is the great adventure that mostly we miss because we think all the other stuff we do is more important. (laughs) Which is sort of funny when you actually map out what you spend your time thinking about and doing. Because it doesn't take much space looking at how we fill up most of our lives, to think, well, there's probably something better to do with my life. And being intimate with the nature of the heart and mind, I think goes, it gets right to the top of the list. So, we're out of time. Really nice that you guys were able to make it tonight. Nice to be with you all. And I'll see hopefully most of you next week. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.